Matthew chapter number six, we'll read these few verses together, nine through 15. It says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you bless now as we come to you and open your word. Lord, we seek truth. Lord, we're looking for guidance. Lord, we need your help. God, we pray that you would speak to us in a very special way today. Lord, help us to understand this passage that is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Lord, help me as I preach. Help me as I speak. Lord, I pray for those who are listening. Lord, and for those who will listen to this recording later. God, we pray if there's someone listening that's never trusted you as their Savior, God, that today would be the day of their salvation. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us, Father, to um, craft a life by your grace that is according to your word. Lord, that we may have true hope and faith in you. We love you. Thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What are you making, God? Right? We have a photo here of some ingredients on a table where it looks like someone's trying to make some food. Okay, And, uh, you know, in our home, April does most of the cooking. When before we got married, we had a kind of we had a big list of all of the duties in the house. And um, this is kind of one of the things we do in, in premarital counseling or in marriage counseling is uh, we kind of decide who's going to do what. And we have that discussion and we commit to that. And uh, she's a fantastic cook, right? Okay. She's, she enjoys it and she's good at it. And when I watch her cook, right, um, I obviously trust what she's doing, uh, but she makes it look effortless, right? People who cook all the time or whatever it is that you may do all the time if someone's watching, but in this case cooking, she just kind of, you know, does whatever and just kind of throws things in and just kind of tastes and just kind of, it just looks effortless. She doesn't measure anything, right? Um, and, uh, and then occasionally she'll talk me into coming into the kitchen and helping her. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm thinking this is going to taste awful. I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but she's guiding me, right? She's like, get out this, get out that, chop up this, throw this in, put a little of that in there, stir that. Hey, keep stirring that. Don't leave that. Keep stirring that, right? Stir this. And then she's chopping and doing this. And she's got three or four things going all at once. And, and I'm, just, I'm just making sure that I'm doing what I'm told, right? So that it comes out right. And, and uh, Lord forbid that if she's ever sick and, and I'm responsible for cooking for the whole family, usually that's takeout time, right? Uber Eats is definitely going to get a ring, um, and so, you know, guys, a lot of times in, in our life, it seems like, it seems like, God, what are you, what are you doing? What are you trying to make? Right? What are you trying to make out of my life? What are you trying to make out of this season in my life? You know, a lot of times on those cooking shows they have on TV, 
They have all the ingredients kind of laid out on the table, right? They're trying to do everything in a timely manner. They've got it all prepared. And you, you, you know if something is laying on the table, it's going to go in that dish somehow. They've got all the, all the spices prepared in these little, little dishes and they kind of sprinkle them in there and they've got their butter all prepared and they've got whatever it is. They've got it all ready, all spread out, right? Well, I want us to kind of think about that when, we, when it comes to the Lord's Prayer. Really, when we pray, what we pray about and how we pray about things really shows a lot about the direction that we're headed in life. And Jesus is trying to not only show us how to pray in this Lord's prayer, he's really showing us how to live too. When he's teaching us the Lord's prayer, he's trying to say, this is what's on the counter. And this is what should not only be a part of your prayer, but this is what also should be a part of your life. This is the way your life should look. So, we looked at a couple of these last week and just quickly by way of review, as we go through the Lord's prayer and kind of pick this apart, it says in verse nine, our father, which art in heaven. So first of all, we can see this prayer is for, it's for everybody. Like when we pray, we, we need to have the understanding that this prayer is not only just going to impact me, it's going to impact other people. When I pray to God, it's the same God you're praying to. It's the same God that Abraham prayed to. It's the same God that Jesus himself prayed to. We don't have individual gods that we pray to. We don't have individual saints that we pray to. We pray to our father, right? The second thing is he wants us to pray to him as as our heavenly father. We all have an earthly father. Depending on your background and your relationship, that may be good, that may be bad. But the thing is, is that's something that we can instantly connect to. He doesn't say our judge, which art in heaven. He doesn't say our creator, which art in heaven. He doesn't try to say, uh, by, he, doesn't, he doesn't necessarily want us to call him by, by uh, other names that we don't really have that much of a connection to. Really, when Jesus came, he wanted to reveal God as our heavenly father. He wants us to think of him as our heavenly father. Um, and we need to make sure that when we're thinking about God as our heavenly father, that we don't only go back to the reference point we have of our own father, right? Because it, that may be very, very good for you. That may absolutely, potentially be bad for you. Okay. The thing is, is that we need to go to God's word to let God define what kind of father he is to us. So when we come to him, we're coming to him with this awareness, right? That ingredient needs to be on the table for our prayer, but it also needs to be kind of on the table in our life. This is not me living my life by myself and I have a father and it says, which art in heaven. He is the eternal God. He is, the Bible says that he is a spirit, okay? They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Our father, which art in heaven. Aren't you thankful that when we think about God, that God is not trapped on the earth like we are? He's not an earthly father that can only do so much. 
an earthly father that only has so much power, so much intellect, so much, so many resources, right? He's the heavenly father. He has all the resources. He does not have an expiration date. So if he can do something for somebody back in the Old Testament and he had that power, or he can answer Jesus's prayer, or he can do something for Peter, he can do it for me. He's the same heavenly father. And he lives outside of the restraints of time and the restraints of the earth. The next thing that we see, and this is where we're going to start today with more study. It says in verse number nine, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means holy. Okay. Holy is the name of God. When we come to him in prayer, we need to come to him with the attitude of respect and reverence, right? His name is holy. His name is separate. His name is different, right? His name is higher. His name is not just a common name. Even in the Ten Commandments, it teaches us to reverence the name of God. In Deuteronomy, sorry, in Exodus chapter number 20, it teaches us in verse number seven, Exodus 20 and verse seven, thou shalt not take, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. You know, that's one of the things that marks an unbeliever. They don't seem to mind using the name of Jesus or the name of Jesus Christ or the name of God in a very empty and flippant manner. They treat it worse than they treat any other name, honestly. They use it as a curse word. They use it when they drop their phone on the ground. Ah! And they say it in a vain way. Well, listen, God cares about how we use his name. God cares that we don't use it in a vain and empty manner. We cannot be using his name in a vain and empty and worthless manner like an unbeliever. And then expect for us to truly come and reverence him when we pray. There needs to be consistency there right? Before we come to God in prayer, there ought to be a history, not of perfection, but there ought to be a history where we are reverencing the name of God. We should not be ashamed of his name. We should not be treating his name as if it is common. Hallowed be thy name. This is talking about how when we come to God and, and the heart of our prayer, the heart of our life should be, God, when you answer this prayer, I want you, when this prayer is answered or the desire of this prayer is so that your name is set apart in the answering of it. Meaning it's not, there's not a common explanation of how this prayer got answered. The only possible way this, this, this prayer could be answered is that your name is separate. Your name is special. Your name is holy. Your name is hallowed. 
Your name is reverent, right? It's different. Um, our God is a holy God. He's not common, okay? He is uncommon. It's interesting how often we feel that we are special. And we are. Each one of us is special. We're individually created by God. And sometimes we feel like that the secret to life is finding out how special I am, right? But the Bible teaches us that really the secret to prayer and the secret to life is our desire to find out how incredible and separate God is. It's about God. God, it is about you. It is vital in prayer to acknowledge deeply from your heart that you are not in charge, that God is, that your perspective is not accurate. God's perspective is accurate, that your designs and plans are not sacrosanct, which means they are not holy. They are not things that can be untouched. They are not perfect, my plans. Prayer is acknowledging God is the architect of your life and you are coming to him as such. Isaiah 6 and 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Hallowed be his name. We have to ask ourselves this question. Do I think of himself in this way? Do I think of, do I, when I come to him, do I come to him with the spirit of reverence? This is something we really have to guard against in a secular society. The only thing that is considered sacred, off limits, and untouchable because they're special is really other human beings. In a secular society, even though there is room given for people to worship and be religious, there is not a sense of God being over us and higher than us. It's more of an individual thing. It's not a cultural thing. So we have to be very careful to understand that God is God. He is holy. He is over us. Okay. The next one is this. We can see thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Verse number 10 says this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. What does it mean when we pray? God what is your kingdom? Should we pray for God's kingdom to come? And what does that mean? When I'm praying for a problem that I have in my life, how do I ask for his kingdom to come? How does that shape my request? When we're talking about God's name being reverent and holy, it's like, okay, my request should be shaped by the fact that God's name is holy and reverent. It should be under. It shouldn't be, this is to make me special. It's, this is going to be answered or this request is, is underneath your guidance. It's underneath your name. It's underneath 
uh, you being reverent and holy. It's not to exalt myself, it's to exalt you. But then when it's thy kingdom come, this is a really important thing. Let's look at, let's look at a few verses. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 and verse 13. Thy kingdom come. Colossians 1 and verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13 is so important when we're talking about the kingdom of God. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins the bible says in the new testament that satan is the prince of the power of the air that he has dominion that he has rule over the spirits of unbelievers now this is all under god god is the supreme ruler okay satan doesn't do anything without god's approval Let's also look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2. So it's drawing a contrast here between those who are saved and those who are lost. Okay? It says that when you're saved, you have been translated into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So now you belong to the kingdom of Christ. We see two kingdoms. There's the power of darkness and there's the power of light. There's the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Christ. There are two kingdoms, okay? We have to remember that with everything that's going on in this world, with everything that's going on in your life, there are two kingdoms. There are two areas of authority. There are two realms of, Right? What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a space and there is someone in charge and they have command over that space, over those people in that space, in that kingdom. Okay? Uh, again, we can see it in the news with the Ukraine and, and Russia. They wouldn't call themselves kingdoms, but countries. We can see there are two different desires, two different people groups. Right? One is trying to come a too, little too close to the other one, kind of posturing that they kind of want to take over. Right? We've got to understand, guys, when we get saved, our prayer requests need to take on the kingdom attributes, the things that are important to Christ. They need to take on the things that are important to him, not the things that are so important to the people of this world, because there are two kingdoms at play here. There are two kingdoms that are at play. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14 The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay? 
It also teaches us here that a nat- the natural man or the unsaved person, the one who's not been born again, the things of Christ do not make sense to him. They cannot make sense to him. They can read the words on the page, but they do not have the ability to really understand and grow in this particular area. They are not of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. They are not of the kingdom. Okay? Now, um, let's go ahead and we'll look at another one in Romans 6. A few more verses here. It's important for us to understand what we're praying about when we talk about the kingdom. Now, this is not a complete study on the kingdom, right? So you think, oh, pastor, you missed something. That's, this is not a complete study on this. This is just to get us an idea of what we're praying for when we're praying for thy kingdom come. Okay, Romans 6. Okay, Romans chapter number six. It says in verse number 20, for when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? But now being made free from sin, become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay. Uh, Also in verse number 13, Romans 6 and verse 13, it says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We can see from these verses once again that there are two different There are two different sides to the kingdom. One, on one side, is the kingdom of righteousness. On the kingdom of righteousness, we're serving the Lord. We're doing what he wants us to do. We're living in the way he wants us to live. Guys, the priorities change when we get saved. Our prayers and the priority of our prayers become different. Okay, one last verse. Let's look at Romans 14, 17. Romans 14. Romans 14, 17. This is pretty plain. Okay, there's two sides. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's delivered us from the power of sin. Okay, He's delivered us from the power of living in the enslavement of the temporary, okay, under the power of our old nature that can't understand the things of God. All right? So he says here, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Meat and drink meaning temporary things. Okay? Temporary things. But righteousness, we saw that from Romans 6, and peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. When we think about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ, okay? Uh, generally speaking, when we think about the kingdom of Christ specifically, 
It's talking about the thousand year reign of Christ in the millennium. Okay, generally, as it says here, the kingdom of God is talking about our spirit. When we are saved, okay, when we're saved, we our spirits now belong to Jesus Christ. We are now under the reign of God. God is our uh, king. Christ is our king, okay? And those of us who are saved are going to rule and reign with him one day in the thousand-year reign. But specifically, we're talking about when we're, when, we're, when we're saying thy kingdom come, what are we saying in our prayers? We're not just praying for temporary fixes. We're praying for spiritual growth. Thy kingdom come. God, I really want this house. I really want this car. I really want to have this girlfriend. I really want to have this advancement. I really want to go here. Okay, well, look, all of the world wants health, wealth, status. God is not, he did, Christ did not come and die on this earth so that we could be rich, okay? So that we could have an incredible house, right? He did not come so that we can be strong in a temporary life. He is trying to get us to grow spiritually. So when we're praying for things that we need or things that we want, when we're praying thy kingdom come, we need to have as the primary importance, we need to be thinking, is this righteous? Is this going to produce righteousness in my life or is this just going to give me what I want? Is this going to produce peace? Right? Is God going to get more of me or am I just going to get more of what I want? Thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom of the hearts of mankind. Revelation 17, 14 says, These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. The Bible says in Revelation 19 and and 16, He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. My prayer is that my prayers fit into God's bigger plan. And in God's bigger plan, it is for me to develop spiritually. What is the priority in this prayer. Look, another way to think about it is there's my kingdom and there's God's kingdom. Sometimes we come to God because we're trying to get God to craft the kingdom that we've designed in our heads. We watch successful people on TV or on social media and we think, oh, I'm going to go to God and I'm going to pray that I can be like that. But it's very confusing because you've got people out there who they say that they're Christians and they say that they they keep God as number one and they're really famous. They're taking all the glory for themselves. They live incredibly immoral lifestyles. They're drinking, they're doing drugs, they're sleeping around. They're living lavish, extravagant, luxurious lifestyles. And they're trying to say, oh, I prayed and God gave this all to me. I keep God number one. They never go to church. They never worship the Lord. They never read the Bible. 
And yet somehow they're trying, no, 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 look. I don't know what God you're talking about, but the God of the Bible is more concerned about the kingdom of your heart and you being in subjection to him. It's about him. It's not about me. It's not about me driving down the street in a Rolls Royce and saying, oh, God's the one that did this. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We'll finish up on this one. Thy will be done. Prayer is acknowledging God is the architect of your life. God is the architect of your life. It says in Matthew 7 and 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. John eight twenty nine, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Um, in Matthew twenty six thirty nine, we can see the heart of Jesus when it says, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. The heart, God, what do you want done in this situation? I'm coming to you in reverence. I'm coming to you in respect. I'm coming to you knowing that my plans fit into your kingdom and that my heart belongs to you and knowing that you have a desire for my life. You have a plan. You have a will. You have a desire. Prayer is not me coming into God and and fighting God for what I want. Prayer is me coming in humility and reverence saying, God, I want what you want. What do you want for me in this situation? I want for you to develop inside of me what you want to develop inside of me. You know, guys, sometimes God wants us to be sick so that he can develop faith inside of us and trust. Sometimes he wants bad things to happen in this world to have that little bit of pain in people's lives to break them out of this mindset that somehow we're never going to die and no one should ever die and... God's like, hey, whoa, wake up. A little bit of pain is important sometimes for you to understand what's really important. God is looking at things from the perspective of eternity. Sometimes God wants us to have a little bit of tension in that relationship. Why? So that we have to pray. Sometimes Jesus says it's important for him in in his, obviously in his life, It's important for him to experience the pain and suffering of the cross. Why? So that he can provide salvation. Now, humanly speaking, we would not pray for that. We would not submit to that. There's no way that we would ever accept pain. And And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not about me correcting everything that we see going on. It's not about me necessarily fixing every little thing in your life. God has something that is much bigger than that. He has something much, much bigger at play. The end of the world, yes, but also in our own heart. God, in you answering this prayer, am I giving you more control of my life? Or am I begging you to fix something so that I have more control of my life? 
Am I trying to somehow build more trust in myself and I can do it, so help me? And I'm the hero of the story? Or is the opposite true? God, you're allowing this to happen and I'm coming to you and I'm trusting you that you're in control. Is there trust there? Do we have the heart? Thy will be done. God, I wish you would fix this problem. I wish you would fix this relationship. I wish you would fix this and I wish you would fix that. And God's like, I may answer that prayer, but I'm more concerned about building you and your faith and ultimately changing us with every ingredient that's on the table that we put into the pot of soup. It creates something different. When you put the carrots in, it makes the soup taste different. When you put the chicken in, it makes the soup taste different. When you put chicken bouillon in, the flavoring stuff, it makes it taste different. When you put in the salt, it tastes different. And guys, every ingredient in the Lord's prayer, it changes our prayer life, but more importantly, it changes us. It puts us more in line with who God really is. Hallowed and reverent and holy be your name. It lets us see who he really is even more and more. It lets us see, hey, he has a kingdom in my heart and he has the kingdom at the end of the world and he reigns supreme over this whole kingdom right now. And yes, Satan is working in the hearts of unbelievers, but God, I'm praying for your kingdom to come in the heart of that person. Not just that they'll stop being a bad person, but that you will change their heart. I'm praying for your kingdom to come. It's not about pressuring people. It's about God changing people. Thy will be done. It's not about me trying to force God into my my desires. God, make this the way it's supposed to be. Change it the way I see it. God's like, how about you... Ask me to change it the way I see it. And you trust me to change it the way I see it from my eternal and righteous perspective. We can see that in the life of Christ. We can see that with each ingredient that we put in. We'll get in later at a later time. We'll get into the other portions that talk about forgiving others. Give us this day our daily bread this really begins to define the life of a Christian. But if we don't have the perspective of the kingdom belongs to God, guys, look, the kingdom of Toronto belongs to God. The kingdom of Canada belongs to God. The kingdom of Russia and the Ukraine and the countries represented in this room and your friends and the countries they're from and the problems and and even the individual kingdoms that we know. The people, their hearts. They ultimately all belong to God, but we have a choice to make. Am I going to turn over to God and say, God, you can control this. I want you to develop inside of me and in others and in my life, whatever your plan is to fit into your kingdom, to fit into your plan. And that's what prayer is. Let's pray.